passes. Please turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 11. All of the adults that are in this class with me today. Romans chapter 11. Praise God. Romans chapter 11. Begin this teaching this morning by asking you a question. Is it all over for Israel? It is not all over for Israel. There is a doctrine that uh, is taught today. It's called replacement theology. The church is that the church has replaced Israel. And that Israel doesn't have any hope of any future in, in God. And that is ultimately heresy. It is demonic. It is, whenever this doctrine replacement theology is taught, the Jews have to run for cover. Because that is the, the foundation for the Holocaust. You understand? Jews don't have any, you know, really they're not even worthy of being alive anymore. So just put them to death. And so we're, we're trying to show you by the Word of God, chapter 9, 10, and 11 of this book of Romans, that God is not through with Israel, that their blindness is only temporary, it's only partial, and it's only temporary. That God is not finished with them. He's got a glorious plan for them. Amen. Last Sunday morning, we talked about Romans chapter 10. We talked about the rhema that they willfully did not believe. The rhema is what? Well, ultimately, instead of you know, going back and trying to reiterate and reteach that to you, it's fulfillment time. The logos is the general prophecy. It's the general word of God. But Romans 10 is the rhema, the rhema. Okay, you with me here? He said, the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth, even the word which we preach, the rhema, is here right now. He's trying to tell Israel, it's fulfillment time. Everything the prophets prophesied about the Messiah, it's fulfillment time as far as his first coming. And they willfully did not believe that, and because that, they are temporarily and partially set aside by God. Okay? Look at your neighbor and say, it's rhema time. It's fulfillment time. If you miss, you know, we have the general word of God, but if you miss the rhema, rhema time, the fulfillment time, the time when the word is specifically to come to pass in your life, you're going to find yourself in the same place that Israel was. Okay, and that's what we'll see in this chapter 11. Okay, you with me still? Romans chapter 11. This is heavy, heavy stuff, but it's worthy of our teaching, and it's worthy of your time. If you don't get this right, you will not believe that Israel has a right to their land. You will not believe that prophecy is going to play out literally. Do you understand? In connection to their restoration in the kingdom in the future, you'll be messed up prophetically. You'll be messed up in the present. You've got to get this right. Not only that, but you can bring a curse of God upon your life. Okay? So let's, let's understand these things. Okay, chapter 11, verse 1. Everybody there. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. May it never be. For I also am an Israelite. And he is a true Israelite spiritually. Okay? 
because he's in Christ by faith. We're talking about Paul here. He is a true Israelite spiritually, and he's also an Israelite ethnically. Okay? So this is talking about not the church replacing Israel, but this is talking about true Israel within national Israel. You understand? I say, then hath God cast away his people? God forbid, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Listen, look at that. Which he foreknew. Watch ye not what the scripture saith of Elias or Elijah, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him, unto Elijah, right? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so, then at this present time also there is a, say with me, remnant. A remnant. Even in the present time there's a remnant. According to the election of grace, which is the, the spiritual new birth. The new birth in Christ, okay? They, they are the elect, election of grace. Now watch, we have a remnant, which is the, according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then there's no more works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. So he starts out, he presents the remnant of God. The true Israel within the national Israel of God, okay? Then verses 7 through 12, he's going to deal with the nation of Israel as a whole. You with me here? We've got the remnant within the nation, verses 1 through 6. Then we've got the nation as a whole, natural Jews. The natural Jews. Natural Israel. Verse 7, What then Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh? National Israel. The remnant has, but not national Israel. Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election. Here we go. That remnant hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. The rest of national Israel was blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber. Why did God give them the spirit of slumber? We've been looking at it because of their unbelief in the Messiah, because their rejection of the gospel. That's why God gave them the spirit of slumber, because of their rejection. Okay? He didn't just predetermine, I'm going to blind them. <laughs> he blinded them or gave them and, and gave them a spirit of slumber, asleep, all right, because of their rejection of him. National Israel. The Bible says that they should not see in ears that they should not hear unto this day. And David saith, let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back always. So this was prophesied that they would reject the Messiah when he came. 
national, natural Israel would, but there would be a remnant within natural Israel that would believe in the Messiah. They would have the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They would look to the Messiah, that remnant. But national Israel has been blinded and is in a stupor because of their rejection. And so it's been prophesied, and Paul has given these prophecies. Verse 11, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, he says, may it never be. But, okay, watch, forbid. But rather that through their fall, salvation is coming to the Gentiles. So God is going to take even that which is not good, their rejection of the Messiah, and turn it around for good, and that is the salvation of you and I, the Gentiles. Okay? The nations. He's going to save the nations as a result of the nation of Israel's blindness. Do you understand? You've got two groups here. You've got the nations of the world and you've got Israel. He's going to use, God's going to use the blindness of Israel to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are going to receive and believe what Israel rejected and did not believe and receive. Okay? This is wisdom of God. Alright? So he's going to use this to save the, nation, the nations or the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. He's going to use the salvation of the Gentiles. Watch this. It's awesome what God does. Because of Israel's national rejection of the Messiah, he then turns to the Gentiles, the nations, and he saves a mass group of Gentiles out of these nations, okay? And in doing that, he's going to, Israel is in blindness. What's he doing? He's, he's doing everything he can to turn that blindness around. So he's going to take the salvation of the Gentiles to turn around the blindness of the nation of Israel. Don't tell me he's predetermined them for damnation and predetermined them for blindness and predetermined them for rejection and predetermined that the church would replace them. That is not what is going on here. He is, he, God in his awesome wisdom is taking their unbelief, using it to save the salvation of the Gentiles, extend mercy to them and then bringing them in using the Gentiles, you and I, to make Israel jealous of that relationship that they have with the Messiah. And then so God, again, extending His mercy and grace one more time to Israel through His work in the Gentile church, causing them to be jealous and to turn from their blindness. They would not turn from their blindness if they didn't have a Gentile church to look at and be jealous of. So the nation is blind. Gentiles are saved. Gentiles are saved. Israel gets jealous. They come into the kingdom. Man, the, the, way that, the way that God, His wisdom, the way he, he works is amazing to me. Amazing to me. He goes on and He says this, watch. He's going to use that to make them, to provoke them to jealousy. Verse 12, now if the fall of them be the riches of the world, and the diminishing of them the riches of the nations, or Gentiles, how much more their fullness. If there's going to be a mass group of Gentiles, a fullness, a complete group of Gentiles, people out of all nations saved, 
It talks about the fullness of Israel in the future. Out of the nation of Israel, the majority of Israelites are going to be saved. Right now, only a minority, only a remnant are saved. But in the future, there's going to be a fullness of Israel. Not just the fullness of the Gentiles, but a fullness of Israel so that the majority of Israelites are going to be saved by faith in Messiah. Not just a few like it is now or in the days of Paul, but a large, massive fullness of Israel. Wonderful. Verse 13. Then he goes to the Gentiles. For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my office. His primary call is to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Now, he started out crying in Romans 9. He's starting to see the big picture here. And by, we, by the time we get to the end of this chapter, he's going to be rejoicing. He goes from tears to laughter. He goes from crying to rejoicing. When he sees the wisdom of God. Okay, so in verse 13, he starts dealing with the Gentiles now. All right? Verses 1 through 6, the remnant. Verses 7 through 12, national Israel. Verse 13, then he deals with the nations or the Gentiles. For I speak to you who? Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation, emulation means jealousy or envy. If by any means I may provoke to emulation, jealousy, envy, them which are my flesh. He said, I'm going out there preaching this gospel to the Gentiles. Gentiles are coming in and being saved. He said, I've got an ulterior motive also. My purpose is that Gentiles will be saved, but I've got an ulterior motive because I know that when Gentiles get saved, that's going to make my kinsmen according to the flesh jealous. So I'm going to try to win as many Gentiles as I can to make, make Israel jealous so that they'll come in the kingdom. So that they'll be full of envy. They'll be full of jealousy. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, if God has cast them aside as a nation... But the world is reconciled. What shall be the receiving of them but life from the dead? It's, their salvation is connected with the second coming of Jesus and the resurrection of the dead. Post-tribulationally. When Israel gets, come on, when Israel gets saved, it is connected with the resurrection of the dead. Powerful. For if the castaway of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? For if the firstfruits be holy, the lump is also holy. The firstfruits. If you bring the firstfruits, it consecrates the whole lump. You with me? If the remnant is holy, the, if the, the firstfruits, the remnant is holy, then it's going to consecrate the whole lump. The whole thing is going to be holy. When you bring a tithe of your, of your money to the Lord, you consecrate the whole thing. You understand? When you bring a tithe of your money to the Lord, you know what? He looks at it as the whole thing. He doesn't look at it as 10%. He looks at it as 100% when you bring the first fruits to God. If you don't bring the first fruits to God, none of it's sanctified. But the first fruits, if the first fruits be holy, the lump is also holy. Now watch this. 
Israel, the remnant, first fruits, consecrating the whole nation, giving the whole nation the opportunity. Do you understand? But not just that, the first fruits is Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, the Bible says he's the first fruits from the dead. So Jesus is the first fruits. He's going to make the whole lump holy in him. Okay? If the root be holy, so are the branches. Now I'm making you stand for just a minute. Just toughen up. I know what I'm doing. I know where you are. I haven't forgot you. If the root be holy, so are the branches. The root, okay, in its fundamental interpretation, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they had their eyes on Messiah. They put their faith in the coming Messiah. You understand? And so the root is holy. But ultimately, the root is Jesus. Revelation 5.5, the Bible says he is the root and the offspring of David. So ultimately, Jesus is the root. And those that are in him have become holy. He is the true root. People want to, they want to talk, they talk about Jewish roots. Let me talk, tell you what true Jewish roots is, are. True Jewish roots mean that you are in the root, Jesus Christ. That's true Jewish roots. It's not that I'm trying to become Jewish or trying to become an Israelite. It's that I am, being, I am in Christ. He's the true root. Okay? The stock that comes up out of the root is the remnant that is in the root. Do you understand? Okay. Let let me read on. So Jesus is the first fruits. Jesus is the true root. Okay. Yes. And if some of the branches be broken off and thou be in a wild olive tree were grafted in among them and with them partakers of the root and fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say, then the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Father, we just thank you for your beautiful word today. Bless your people, God, we ask in Jesus' name. You may be seated. <clears throat> now, very quickly, I'm just going to give you a summary up to that point. Are you with me right now? Do you sort of, kind of understand? I'm glad because I don't. I'm going to do my best though. Y'all pray for me? All right, Romans 1 through 6. I do. I, I, I know enough to tell you. Hallelujah. Don't get, don't get nervous on me. Okay, Ezekiel 14. Let's go back. Let's talk about this remnant. This is what Paul is telling us. God is not through with Israel. It is not all over for Israel. God is going to save a large group of people out of the nation of Israel. It is going to be a fullness of Israel. It's not going to be a minority of Jewish people that are saved. It is going to be a majority of the Jewish nation that are going to be saved. God is not through. He's got a great plan. Right now, though, because of their unbelief and their blindness, that's where I got my opportunity to come into the kingdom as a a Gentile. And then God is going to take their unbelief and turn it around to be a blessing for the Gentiles. He's going to take the Gentiles and turn that around to be a blessing, the salvation of the Gentiles, turn that around to be a blessing to Israel to cause them to become jealous so that they would have the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and they would get in the Messiah.
God is awesome. So he starts out with this remnant. It is only a partial blindness. It's only a temporary blindness. Amen. There are people in the kingdom just like Paul. He is an Israelite physically. He is an Israelite spiritually. He's a part of the remnant, the elect of grace. Those who have been spiritually born into Messiah. They are the elect of grace. They are in Christ. They have not rejected the gospel. They have believed the gospel. Ezekiel 14. All the way through the Bible, the Bible talks about the remnant. Ezekiel 14. Let's look over here. 14 and verse 14. Watch this. Paul illustrates the remnant by the... He goes back in time to the days of the prophet Elijah. And he illustrates the remnant. In the days of Elijah, the nation of Israel as a whole pretty much were in idolatry. They were in Baal worship. They had Christmas. <laughs> well, that just knocked, that slapped somebody right up the head. <laughs> they were involved in syncretism. They were mixing God with paganism. Baal worship. They believed in the doctrine of the Trinity. Nimrod, Tammuz, Samaramus. They believed in the doctrine of the Trinity. They, they were involved in paganism, but they called it God. That's where the church as a whole is today. I know, yeah, I know, I know. I know how zealous you are. And I'm, I'm working on getting you some information, okay? I ordered it two or three months ago, and I still haven't seen it. So I'm going to try to, hopefully, I can get that information on these pagan things, all right? But anyway, in the days of Elijah, Israel, as the people of God as a church, if you will, as the assembly, were caught up in the mixing of God with all the paganism. But it was nothing more than Baal worship. It was nothing more than sun worship. That's all it was. And God judged them because of that and sent them into captivity. He sent the ten tribes into Assyrian captivity. He sent uh, Judah and Benjamin, the two tribes... The southern tribe, southern kingdom into captivity, into Babylon. All because of that syncretism of Baal worship with God. The worship of the sun God and calling it God. God judged that. Okay? And this great prophet Elijah stands up. He's a mighty prophet of God. And he stands up and he's calling the people of Israel, the nation, out of idolatry. He's calling them to true faith in God himself. He, he's calling them to walk in the covenant with God. Do you understand? He's got a job on his hands. Ahab and Jezebel are alive at that time. The king of Israel. And this pagan king Jezebel. A Phoenician queen. A demonically possessed woman. Who has conquered Ahab. And they've got, they've, now the leadership is caught up in the paganism. They should be leaders. They should be leading into the things of God. But they're caught up in the paganism. Ahab and Jezebel. Elijah comes along. And he starts preaching. He preaches against what's going on in the nation. I'm telling you. I mean he just comes like out of nowhere. He's preaching against that Baal worship. That system. That has come into Israel. He's up against it man. 
he preaches it and he preaches it and he preaches it. He looks out and he doesn't see anybody wanting to follow God. He sees the nation as a whole given to idolatry. It's the way the church is today. I don't mean to be negative, but I'm being truthful. It's the way the church is today. It is, it is so pagan. And he comes and preaches in a similar time. I'm telling you. And I'm going to tell you right now, the spirit of Elijah is going to show up again before the great notable day of the Lord come. That same type of anointing is going to have to be in the world because of God's nation. In this context, what I'm talking about, the church, is in paganism. But he comes along. And he's a, he's a, like one voice. Against the whole group of people, the whole nation. Calling them to God. Calling them out of paganism. Calling them to forsake Baal worship or sun worship. God causes it not to rain for three and a half years. Prophetically. You give credit to Baal for all your crops. God says, I'm going to show you who gives you the true rain. I'm the one that gives you the rain. Not that idol called Baal you got in the middle of your field. Not that scarecrow you got in the middle of your field. I, God, am the one that causes it to rain. I'm the one that produces the crop. So I'm going to judge your so-called God that does this for you. With me? Jezebel tries to kill the prophet. Elijah, you know the story. Tries to kill the prophet Elijah. He runs for his life. He gets to a place he is so discouraged. Because he's preaching to the nation. That is wholly giving themselves to idolatry. He feels very lonely. <laughs> he feels very insecure. He goes off into a cave. He's worried that this woman Jezebel possessed by a demonic spirit. Is going to conquer him. Going to kill him. <laughs> he starts crying out to God. He says, I only am left. I'm the only one that is serving you, God. Can you imagine that? To be in a place, put yourself in the place of Elijah. That you're the only one that's standing up for the truth. You're the only one. Come on. It's not caught up in the paganism and the sun worship of Baal. Mixing that, you know, God in there a little bit. You know, you're the only, you're the only one. You're standing up there and you're preaching. Everybody look at you like you're crazy. You're a nut. You understand? You ever been there? Yeah, man. Yeah, man. You take a stand for God on these things, they're going to think you're crazy because they're calling to all Jesus. They put Jesus on everything. They, they put Jesus on all this pagan stuff, this sun worship stuff, this bell worship. And Elijah says, I'm the only one left. Okay? So don't, you know, don't feel bad. But here's the neat thing. God says, he says, you're not the only one, Elijah. He said, I've got 7,000 people who haven't bowed their knee to that sun god. I've got a, watch this. He says, I've got a remnant. I've got a remnant in that nation. That are committed and dedicated to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I've got a few. I've got a remnant. I've got a small company that have not bowed their knee to that pagan idolatry. Give God some praise. 
See, the majority is not always on the side of God. You need to hear that this morning. There's always this spiritual minority, this spiritual remnant that is on the side of God. Don't ever go with the numbers, my friend. Don't ever go with the compromisers, my friend, because it's always the spiritual minority that walks with God. God said, I've got 7,000 who haven't bowed their knees to Baal. And it was so serious, they were having to hide in the caves, man. Jezebel wanting to wipe every one of them out, kill every one of them out, to get rid of the purity of the truth. Elijah feels like he's the only one. No, God says, I've got 7,000. I've got a remnant that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. Do you understand? They're in the caves. You don't know about them. Obadiah, he go over there and help them out every once in a while, you know. He feed them. Praise God. I'm going to tell you something, friend. You've got to be careful that you, that we, and we have to be careful. Because if we're, if we're not, not really committed and dedicated to take a stand for God, then what's going to happen is the pressure will come on you. And you'll kind of give in. Kind of just go with the flow. What's the use? Is basically where Elijah was. What's the use, God? I'm the only one that's left. God said, no, you're not. He said, there's 7,000 haven't bowed their knee to Baal. He said, there is a remnant that are faithful to me. And I got good news for you. It's not just 100, 150 people here in Odessa, Texas that, that believe what we preach and, and are, are, are saying the things we're saying. There are thousands of people all over this nation. I know they're small. I know they're a remnant. I know they're few and far between. And I know they're not with the majority. But thanks be to God, I'm telling you, I've got good news for you. That there's somebody that's going to stand up for the truth in these last days. What you have to be careful about is not going with the flow. It's not, it's, it's not going with the majority. You're going to feel the pressure to go with the majority. Not Elijah. He was a part of a remnant. That's what God is saying. He said in the days, in this present day, he said Israel as a nation has rejected me, but rejected the Messiah, God. But he says, don't think that's everybody. And don't think that is forever. He says there's still a remnant that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. It's a small group. It's, they're they're uh, Jeshurun. Deuteronomy 33. God calls Israel Jeshurun. You know what that means? He said they're the upright ones. Jeshurun literally means the little righteous group. The little upright group. The small upright group. He said there's a Jeshurun in the world today. There was a Jeshurun in the days of Elijah. This small righteous group. This small upright group. He said they were in the days of Elijah. And they're also in the days of the Apostle Paul. The nation as a whole. In the days of Paul. Were swallowed up. In one sense, they were the harlot. You understand? But God says, let me show you. He said, I got a remnant. He said, it's not all, it's not total, it's only partial. It's only temporary. You with me here? Ezekiel 14. Let's, let's give, let me give you a passage here. And then on from the days... Of Elijah into the prophets like Ezekiel, Jeremiah, 
Daniel, these great prophets, some pre-exile prophets prophesied before they went into captivity, some exilic prophets that prophesied during their captivity, some post-exilic prophets, prophets that prophesied after their captivity were raised up by God. And you know what the whole purpose of God sending them forth was? To deal with this sun worship. To call Israel out of that paganism. To call the church out of that paganism. That was God's purpose. Do you understand what I'm trying to show you here? Hallelujah. To call that remnant out of that nation. In Ezekiel 14. It only got worse with time. You understand? Ezekiel 14, 14. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness. Saith the Lord God. Look at that. He said the nation, let me put it this way, the assembly, it got so bad. It was so inundated with idolatry and unbelief that he said that if those three men were living in that time, they would only save themselves. That, you talk about a small remnant. You talk about Daniel, Job, and Noah. If they were to come up, and, and I'm talking about great powerful men like Daniel. Powerful men like Job. Powerful men like Noah. If they were there in that world at that time that Ezekiel was prophesying to. That nation, that church. They were so in unbelief. And so in, caught up in idolatry that those men, as great as they were, would only save themselves. Hello, church. But see, God, again, is always on the side of right. He's always on the side of righteousness. He's always on the side of the spiritual remnant. He is not on the side of the majority. That's why he'll set aside a whole nation before he'll ever compromise his truth. He'll cut their branches off that tree and throw them aside and then walk around in the ground and pick up some more branches and pick some branches up that have been scattered and put them in that tree. Because he is not willing to compromise with righteousness. He is not willing to compromise with truth. He's always going to have a remnant. He doesn't walk with majority. He walks with truth. He walks with righteousness. And God said, you know what? If only three people are saved, he's still not going to compromise. But he shows you here a very important point. Okay, you with me still? Lord, help me today. Verse 20. Again, he repeats it. He says, though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter. They shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. Powerful. Verse 21, for thus saith the Lord God, how much more when I send my four sword judgments upon Jerusalem, the sword, the famine, the noisome beast, and the pestilence to cut off from it man and beast. Happened in the days of Ezekiel. It's going to happen in the future. There's a future prophecy also. You watch this. Watch this. Watch this. Yet behold, therein shall be left a remnant. 
He said, right now it's so bad that Noah, Job, and Daniel, if they were there alive, they would only be saved. But he said, there's coming a time because I'm going to keep extending my mercy, keep extending my grace to them. There's going to come a time that because of my willingness to extend my mercy, that there is going to be a remnant who are going to respond to that mercy. And that remnant is my elect. My elect are those who walk in the truth. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. I want to just, let me just throw this in for you. You don't want to miss any church in this hour. You don't want to miss any church in this hour. Because God is talking too much. Do you understand? You need to equip yourself with every word that comes forth from this pulpit. You need to understand. You need to be a part of that remnant. You need to be spiritual. You don't need to be a part of a majority. You need to be a part of a minority of people. A remnant. Because that's where God stands. He always has and He always will. He stands against the tide of this world. And so... He talks about this remnant. Yet behold, therein shall be a left a remnant. Out of all of that calamity, man. That shall be brought forth both sons and daughters. Behold, they shall come forth unto you. And you shall see their way and their doings. You shall be comforted concerning the evil that I have brought upon Jerusalem. Even concerning all that I have brought upon it. Because out of that judgment is going to come the remnant. In the future, the great tribulation period, when God pours out His judgment upon the nation of Israel, the tribulation period, the first three and a half years, specifically upon the nation of Israel, when He does that, and then the last three and a half years worldwide upon the nations who have persecuted Israel, when He does that, the whole purpose is so that there could be a remnant, an election of grace that'll come out of national Israel. But it's not just going to be a small group. It's going to be a large majority that walk in the truth, that have eyes for Messiah, that walk in the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who got rid of their idolatries, and they have repented of their sin. Shake it, man. You know, I believe, and I don't have to ask God to shake it. He's going to shake it, everything that can be shaken. He's going to shake it. But here's the awesome thing about it. Rising up from that is going to be a phoenix from the ashes. There's going to rise out of the ashes a phoenix, a church. Hallelujah. Made up of believing Israelites and made up of believing Gentiles. One new man in Christ Jesus. That's going to come out of the shaking. Yeah, man. Thank God for it. Thank God for it. Thank God when he shakes me. Thank God when he shakes this church. Thank God when he shakes you. Because he's got to get some stuff out of us. You understand? The remnant, the elect, according to grace. So that's what he's showing. Paul is showing this remnant. Hallelujah. Not, not a part of the majority. It's always been that way. When Jesus Christ came into the world, there was Anna, Simeon. Simeon. They believed when Jesus came. Paul, the apostle, the, uh, and the, the, the eleven before him. They believed. A small group of people, this remnant, they believed the Messiah. They had faith in the, they had their eyes on Messiah. They put their faith in him. They got born again according to Acts 2.38. They went forth and preached that message telling people how to get in Jesus. 
How they could be a part of that spiritual elect people by being connected to the root. Now, I know some of you just think I'm just rambling. I'm, no, I'm, this is very important. You need to understand. So he deals with that. He says, he uses Elijah's example of his day. He said, there's still a remnant. Hallelujah. It's not total. And it's only temporary. He said, there's a gesturing right now, a small group. Hallelujah. Of Israel. True spiritual Israel in that nation that are saved. That haven't bowed their knees to Baal. That haven't compromised the truth. They're walking with God. They believe in the Messiah. They walk in the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They have been spiritually reborn. Then he talks about national. And I'm just giving you an overview here. He talks about national. Uh, Israel. At verse 7. We've already covered this briefly. What that Israel hath not attained that which he seeketh forth, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. So now he talks about national Israel and their blindness and how that he put his stupor over them, etc. Their table has become a trap, etc. All of this happened as a result of their rejection of their election. You can forfeit your election. God elected them as a nation. We're talking about the national election of Israel in these passages. He chose Israel to be his people. But because of their willful unbelief and willful rebellion and rejection, then he, what does he do? He suspends that election temporarily. Do you understand? But he lets you know that there are some people who are still in the elect because they have responded to the Messiah properly. You with me? But then he tells you that nationally, they did not receive what they sought for. And he explains why. They're blind. You know, God uh, caused there to be a stupor to be upon them. Why? Because of their unbelief. Then he says, as a result of that, the Gentiles are going to be saved as a result of national Israel's blindness. Come on. The Gentiles are going to be saved. And they're going to be used by God to provoke the nation of Israel to jealousy, to envy. When Israel sees the church of the living God, come on, they are going to be jealous. They should be jealous of the nations that are coming in the kingdom, right? That's what the Bible says is going to happen. Okay. Verse 13. So he jumps to the Gentiles then. The nations. I speak to you just in so much that I am an apostle of the Gentiles. I magnify my eyes. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy them which are my flesh and might save some of them. Yeah. You understand? Okay. Woo. Man, I'm excited. I just, I, I'm almost beside myself up here, you know. Y'all are focused and learning. Now watch, watch this. For if the casting away of them be the reconciliation of the world, what shall be the receiving of them but life from the dead? He talks about this glorious time when national Israel, it's not longer going to be a remnant, it's going to be a majority of Israel. There's going to be a remnant of his brethren that come out of national Israel that are going to be saved. 
Isn't this beautiful? And God is using you to bring them to jealousy. I mean, it's their Jewish Messiah they have rejected nationally in unbelief. And here comes these people who are not a people who, who become his people. Are you with me? And, and they receive what? And they, the Gentiles, you and I, receive what Israel should have received and what Israel will receive. What they should have received, you and I got it. And God's going to use what they should have received and will receive in the future that I now have received while they're blind to their Messiah. God's going to use that to make them jealous. Hey, that belongs to me. Woo. <laughs> I love it, man. People speaking in tongues. Got to feel the Holy Ghost. Saved. Look, look at them. Look at them. That belongs to me. Messiah. Hey, he's my Messiah. <laughs> yeah, come on. I mean, you'd get a little jealous too if somebody got what was promised to you. What you should have received. Somebody else got it because you didn't believe for what you should have received. God gave it to somebody else. He said, you don't believe it. You don't receive it. I'll just give it to somebody who believes it and they'll receive it. And pretty soon it dawns on you. They got what I'm supposed to have. But here's the good news. God says, okay, they got what you should have received. And here's the good news. You can receive it too. By suspending your unbelief. By suspending your non-election. Praise God. By believing the same way the Gentiles believe. By entering into the same covenant the Gentiles have entered into the blood covenant. By getting in Messiah, you can get the same thing they have gotten. So just think about it. Think about it. If you knew... God made you a promise. And then not only did he make you a promise in time, but then he comes to you and he gives you a rhema. And he says, it's time for it to be fulfilled. It's time for you to get what's been promised. He said, I don't believe it. I know, it's, I know the truth. I know, it's, I know what's right. And I know what God is saying is for me. But I, don't, I, I reject it. I'm in unbelief right now. The Lord said, okay, I'll give it to this person. In exchange of hands. He said, hey, 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 where are you going with that? You know what I'm saying? That belongs to me. God says, okay, well, if you will respond the same way, you know, this one responded, I'll do the same thing for you. I'll just keep extending mercy and grace. You know what I'm talking about? I tell you what, you do. you have problems with your kids, they throw a, they'll throw a fit. They don't get, you know, what they think they, they, they want, whatever. Okay, what you do? You go give that to the other kid. You reject it. You run out of belief. You don't want it. Okay, then I'll give it to your brother. You watch what happens. That's mine. You can't do that. Oh, you want it now? 
Okay, you can have it now. But I, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, let, I'm going to let brother keep that one, but I'll buy you another one. And that's what God is saying here. What they should have have received, we have received. What they should have received, they did not receive because of their willful rebellion and unbelief. God said, I'm going to bless somebody else with it. And now as a result of that, they say, hey, that belongs to me. God says, okay, I'll give it to you also. God, the wisdom of God. Don't, don't tell me that God don't do that today. He'll step, oh, see, I'm going to get in some practical stuff. He'll step into church and, and, and tell the church all these things that he wants to do in that local assembly. And if that local assembly doesn't walk in that in faith and embrace that, and if they're not spiritual and they're not, come on, and they're not covenant-oriented and covenant-focused and they're not obedient, you know what he'll do? He'll walk down the street to the local Baptist church. And he'll pour out his spirit on a Baptist church and they'll stand there speaking in tongues when it's, you know what, come on. Hey, we're the, we the Jesus name people. We're the one God people, you know. We're the remnants, you know. We're the election. Look what God's doing for them. Look at how they're blessed. And he's saying, hey, you're my sons. You should have got it. But because you didn't believe for it. He said, I'm going to go somewhere else. And they're going to believe me. And when they believe me, they're going to get it. And when they get it, they're going to make you jealous. Don't tell me God can't use that today. Or he calls you into a certain ministry and you play around with it. And you, you, you know what I'm saying? You play around with it. You think, you know, it's, it's yours for the taking. I said, no, you mess around. You unbelief, you know, come on. He said, you know what? You don't have monopoly on it. He said, I'll take it and I'll give it to somebody else. And they'll see you up there. And they're going to say, you know what? That's where I should be. Why aren't you there? Because of your unbelief. But if you'll believe, if you'll get yourself right with God, he said, what I promised you, I'll also fulfill in you. But God can use somebody else to make you jealous, to get you on fire spiritually so that you will get in your rightful place. Does it make sense? See, i got to get a little practical application in here too as I preach. But it illustrates the point. See what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, I feel it. I hear you, God. So you get an assignment from the Lord that you are to be, you know, uh, the one who's in charge of a certain Sunday school class. You play around with it. You're not faithful with it. You're kind of, you know, halfway. You know what God does? He says, okay, I will take, that, take you out of there and I will put somebody else in there and watch that class. It's going to grow, and it's going to be blessed, and the Holy Ghost is poured out. And look at that. And you walk by the class, and you say, I only had five. They got 30. <laughs> you don't say nothing to the pastor. You don't say nothing to the preacher, but it starts eating at you because you know you're not doing what you should be doing. You're not walking in the faith that you should be walking in. You have rejected it. Now, God's going to use somebody else, and he's going to bless them, and he's going to make you jealous. And all of a sudden... You're going to get where you need to be. And if you get where you need to be, then God say, you know what I want you to do? I want you to go teach that class. Now, now, now he works that way. That's how he works. 
You don't want it? What he's saying, if you don't want it, he's got somebody that does. Don't ever think that you walking now is going to cause the whole thing to shut down. <laughs> God, I feel the Holy Ghost. Well, I just show them. I just show them. I just walk off. Well, honey, it's going to keep on going. And God just going to put somebody in your place to take your place. And if you'll get right, you come back and you'll get right. God will put you right back in the slot you're supposed to be in and use you. He wants to do it that way. But see, I don't want God to do that to me. I don't want him to have to cut me off, set me aside, put somebody else in my place, and then go back later on and say, okay, now you got it right. Now I'll put you back in. Lord, I don't want that. I want to be the remnant right now. Praise God. I don't want to be cut off. I don't want to be rejected because of my unbelief. I don't want to walk in blindness and in a stupor, asleep. Come on, church. I believe that God has called this church to do great things in his kingdom. I believe it with all my heart. But I also know as your pastor that he can walk by us and walk down to the next street. Somebody that's hungry. Some preacher that's hungry. Some church that's hungry for the truth. And this, when I get to preaching like this, is this is when people feel like getting up and going somewhere else. This is when they feel like going into the restrooms. Go and check on their kids in a Sunday school class. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, you, you know what? <laughs> Praise the Lord. I love God, don't you? That's exactly what he did with Israel. And that's, you know, and he will use that. He'll use that. I use that on my kids, my, my physical kids. You don't want it? Okay, I'll give it to so-and-so. No, that's mine. Okay, well, I gave it to her now. Now, what do I do? Well, okay. But I want that. I thought you said you didn't want that. No, I want that. No, I said you, you said you didn't want it. I, I want it. Okay, well, I'll get you one too then. See, you think, listen, God is always going to stand on, stand on the side of the minority. He's going to stand on the side of truth. He's going to stand on the side of righteousness. I don't care who it is. If it's me in the pulpit, if it's you in the pew, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you're doing in the kingdom. If you reject, you walk in unbelief, you're playing around with it. Come on. Don't you realize there's a job to be done? Don't, do you realize that God can set you aside, put you on the shelf, and get somebody else to take your place? And you see there, and you know in your spirit, you say, that is supposed to be me. I said, you didn't prepare yourself for it. So now I've got to use them. But if you'll just get right, get right, I'll use you too. Beautiful. Beautiful. It's beautiful. It's awesome. It's awesome. I've heard some, I've heard some tremendous preachers preach. Great men of God. You know what? I get blessed by the word. Have you ever heard anybody preach and say, I'm, man, that... You know, I, get, I get blessed by the word that they've preached. But you know that More than just the word that they're preaching. God uses their walk and their power, their anointing. You know what? To make me jealous. In a good way. I'm sitting there on a pew and I'm saying, Someday maybe I'll be like him. Man, I want to be like him. So, you know what? What do you do? What did you do to get to this place? 
How did you get there? How much did you pray? How much did you fast? How much did you study? Tell me what the answer is because I want to be just like you. So God even uses it today. You with me? We got quite a few preachers in here in this church, you know, and I guarantee you watch. One of them gets a hold of God, he's on fire. The other preachers stand there in awe when they're preaching. Wow, man. Mm, I haven't been used like that lately. Mm. They don't say anything. But God uses that to light their fire. Man, I better get after it here. I better get with it. Because if I don't get with it, somebody else is going to take my place. And it's just as real as the nose on your face, honey. You don't think it is, you play around. You watch what God does. He'll make you so jealous. That's God. And that's what he's going to do with Israel. He's going to use a Gentile wife, a Gentile son that has come into the kingdom to make his, come on, his promised son jealous. He's going to cut them off because of their unbelief, throw them on the ground, and go up and pick up a bunch of wild olive branches like you and me, and he's going to put us in their place. Come on, come on, amen, amen. And they're going to stand back and watch the, these limbs grow and flourish and become beautiful. They're going to say, hey, I used to be in that tree. I used to flourish like that. I used to be nourished like that. I used to be blessed like that. Somebody took my place. Look at them growing. Look at, look at their growth spiritually. Look at their blessing. That should be me. Oh, really? National Israel? That's right. God says, okay. He said, what I'm going to do, if you don't abide, if you don't continue in your unbelief, if you suspend your non-election, if you suspend your unbelief, if you repent and get born again, he said, I'll just take you and I'll put you right back in your place. And by the way, he said, all you people, he said, don't boast against the natural branches because all you people who are in that tree, if you start walking in unbelief, if you don't continue to persevere, if you don't continue in obedience and perseverance, he said, I'll cut you off too, just like I did Israel. So don't boast, about, uh, don't boast against the natural branches that have been cut off because the same thing will happen to you. God is no respecter of persons. Hello. So we have to persevere in obedience and faithfulness to God if we're going to uh, uh, remain in this, this olive tree and flourish and be blessed. Do you understand? Give God some praise. <clears throat> so verse 17, if some of the branches be broken off, Thou being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them. That old desert olive. That's who I was. Old desert olive. God says, okay, I, I, I broke them off because of unbelief. Set them aside nationally. He said, but you know what? He said, I've got to have somebody to take their place. I'm not willing just to have a tree with cut off limbs. So he goes over there and he goes up to this, to this old desert olive. And he, you know, picks you up off the ground. Hey. Yeah, don't produce anything, no fruit, no spiritual fruit, you know, just a wild olive tree by nature. 
And God does something contrary to nature. He takes a wild olive branch and puts it into a good olive tree. Normally you take a good olive branch and you put it into a bad olive tree. And the good olive branch produces fruit from the nourishment that comes out of the bad olive. It's contrary to nature. He takes the bad olive branch and puts it into the good tree. Doesn't that make you feel good? Aren't you thankful God letting you know that you're a wild branch? You know, you're his second pick. Israel, his first pick. You're his second pick. His first pick didn't want it, so he cut them off, put his second pick into place. <laughs> Woo! Yeah! Ain't that good? And Israel looks at you and says, man, look at that. That should be mine. Now watch this. He says, that will say that the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. That's what the Gentiles will say. Remember, he's talking about the Gentiles here. He's talked about Romans 1 through 6, the remnant. He talks about verses uh, 7 through 12. He talks about national Israel as a whole. Then he talks about the Gentiles who have been put in their place, been grafted into their place. They haven't replaced Israel. They've just been grafted into Christ, into the covenant. Do you understand? Okay, watch this. Thou wilt say, then the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. Because of unbelief, they were in a stupor. Because of unbelief, their table became a trap. Because of their unbelief, they were broken off or cut off. All right? And thou standest by how? Faith. Faith. You got in Christ. You got in Him. You got in the root. You've been grafted in Grafted into what? You have been grafted into national Israel. You've been grafted into Him, into His covenant, into Jesus, into the spiritual elect, the remnant, the spiritual seed of Jesus. You understand? Thou standest by faith. He said, Don't be high minded, don't walk around in your pride. But he says, here's the way you respond to election. He said, fear. Walk in reverence. Reverence. For God, if God spare not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Why didn't he spare the natural branches? Because of their unbelief. Same thing he says to us. He will not spare us if we... Walk in unbelief. Verse 22. Behold therefore the goodness and severity of God on them which fail. Severity but toward thee goodness. If thou continue in his goodness. Otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. You are able to suspend your election. By your unbelief. You're also able to suspend your unbelief. And your non-election and become a believer and the elect of God. He didn't predestinate you to be lost or to fail or to be rejected. It depends on your response to the gospel. It depends on your response to Jesus, the Messiah. You understand? Have you been born again? Have you been grafted into him? Now watch this. You awake still? 
I don't want to be cut off. Thou also, if thou abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. Now he says, here, Israel, here's the good news. If you don't continue in your unbelief, he said, I'm just going to pick you back up and graft you back into your proper place. If you don't continue in unbelief, if you suspend your unbelief, he said, I'm going to put you in the tree again. And I will look at you as my elect. That's what he's going to do for the nation of Israel. Give God some praise. <clears throat> Do you understand? Mm. So do you understand? The root ultimately is Jesus. The stock is those that have been spiritually born again in Him. The elect in Him. The branches that have been cut off are natural Israel and also Gentiles who walk in unbelief. They are the ones that are being cut off. Do you understand? The ones who have been grafted in are believers. Believers of the nations and believers of Israel are the ones that ultimately will, be gra- ultimately will be grafted in. Praise God. Does this mean anything to you? It ought to you. It's the, word of the, it's the word of God. Okay. He says, For if thou wert cut out of the olive tree which is wild by nature. So he went over there. And I say he picked him up off the ground. That's symbolism. He went over this wild olive tree. All right. The nations of the world. And he just... He cut a branch off. And he walked over to his good olive tree. And he put us in that olive tree. He put us in himself. Because he is the elect. He is the root. And he is the first fruits of God. And he put us as wild branches into that good olive tree. And we receive what Israel should have received and will receive right now. Why? Because we believed and responded to the gospel and they didn't. That's the point. And as long as we continually respond, continue in his goodness, then we'll stay in the tree. But if we don't, he said, I'll cut you off too. Cast you aside. Okay. Now, here, here's where I'm trying to get to. For if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature, wild into good, instead of good into wild. How many of y'all have ever grafted something like that? You take a wild thing, you put it in a good tree. I mean, you take a, I mean, you get me confused. <laughs> you take a good branch and you put it into a wild tree and the good branch will produce fruit. But what he did was he took a wild branch off a wild tree that didn't produce and put it into a good stock. And it started producing fruit. Jesus is the, 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 the one who nourishes us, the Spirit of God. Now we're producing fruit unto God, the fruit of righteousness. Do you understand? Contra, it's all contrary to nature. Into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? And I'm not through with Israel. I'm not through with national Israel. Every promise God has ever made to national Israel, He will fulfill. There is going to be a remnant out of national Israel, a majority out of national Israel in the future that's going to be grafted back in. And He's going to use the Gentiles, the nations that have been saved, 
to provoke them to jealousy. With me here? He's going to put them back in the own, their own olive. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. These chapters are telling you. That, listen, if you're anti-Semitic, you are against the Bible. You cannot be anti-Semitic. Paul is trying to show you he is not anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish, anti-Israel. He said there's a great future for them. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. The mystery of the salvation of Israel. It is a mystery how that Messiah could come to his own people and they would reject him as a nation. And then these people who are not a people just like you and me embrace him, believe him, get born again, come into the kingdom and we produce the spiritual fruit and we receive the blessings they should have received and will receive. It's a mystery. But God said, he said, I'm going to use it to use the Gentiles, provoke them to jealousy and there's going to be the mystery of the salvation of Israel. Go with me to Revelation 10 verse 7. When is this going to happen? It's going to happen at the end of the tribulation period. Revelation 10, 7. <clears throat> How many of y'all love Jesus? Yes. Oh, you ought to. Wild olive put into that good tree. Revelation 10, 7. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound. This is the seventh trumpet. This is the last trumpet. It's at the end of the tribulation period. When he will begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished as he hath declared to his servants, the prophets. The mystery is the salvation of Israel. It is post-tribulational. It is connected to the sounding of the seventh trumpet. It's when God comes back. When he comes to Mount Zion, Jesus the Messiah comes to Mount Zion, saves Israel, sets up the kingdom. It's going to be like a resurrection from the dead. The world in its present condition, it's moaning and it's groaning and it's travail. God is going to change the whole world, the whole atmosphere. He's going to set up his kingdom. It's going to be like the world has risen from the dead. He's going to set up his kingdom and Israel is going to be the head of the nations. They're going to be the head and not the tail. The majority of Israel is going to be saved. It is connected with the seventh trumpet in the book of Revelation. It is the mystery of the salvation of Israel. And that's what Paul is talking about in Romans 11. He said it's a mystery. God, are you with me here? The mystery of the salvation of Israel. Verse 25, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. Same thing. Revelation 10, 7. Same thing that Paul's talking about in Romans eleven twenty-five. 25. Lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. He said, when the completion of the Gentiles comes in, the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. With me here? He's talking about a massive, massive ingathering of nations, people out of nations coming into the kingdom. He said, there's going to come a time when that's filled to the full. The fullness of the Gentiles have come in. He said, watch. What's what the connection is? Look at this. Here's the connection. The fullness of the Gentiles. 
Blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles is come in. Why is it until? Because God is using this mass company of believers out of all nations to provoke Israel to jealousy. And when that fullness of the Gentiles comes in, having provoked them to jealousy, then you know what he does? He also breaks the yoke of Gentile oppression off of Israel at the end of the tribulation period. When he breaks that Gentile yoke of oppression off of them at the end of the tribulation period. And at that time, the fullness of the Gentiles come into the kingdom. He said, now watch, Israel's going to get saved. Watch this, watch this. I'm going to prove it to you biblically. He says this. Y'all with me? When the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, then the blindness that is on Israel is going to be removed. Verse 26. And so all Israel shall be saved. All Israel, the majority is going to be saved. Not just the remnant, not just the minority, but the majority of the nation. The fullness of Israel is ahead. The fullness of the nations is ahead. God's going to, friend, He's going to fill up heaven. He's going to fill up the kingdom with nations of people. He's going to fill up His kingdom with the, the majority of the nation of Israel. And when it, says not, when, when it says all Israel shall be saved, He's not talking about all national Israel. There's always a few exceptions. There's the few exceptions of, of unbelieving Gentiles that are going to be cut off. There's a few exceptions the unbelieving Israelites that are going to be, you know, not in the kingdom. But when he says all Israel shall be saved, he's talking about that remnant. This large company of Israelites that are going to be saved out of the nation of Israel in the last days. Do you understand? Setting up of the kingdom, they're the head of the nations. Resurrection from the dead, the coming of the Lord. Okay, watch. Got to give you a little bit of time here. Say fullness of the Gentiles. Blindness in part has happened to Israel until when? The fullness of the Gentiles be come in. A lot of people try to use that as a pre-tribulation rapture text. There is absolutely nothing in that verse that says anything about a pre-tribulation rapture. How, how do I know they teach it? Because I used to. It's not even in there. It doesn't say anything about a pre-tribulational coming of Jesus in that verse. It says, when the fullness of the Gentiles have come in, the blindness is in part until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. He doesn't say, well, when Jesus comes back pre-tribulationally and raptures the church out of here, then seven-year tribulation period will take place, and then he'll begin to work with the nation of Israel again, and then they're going to be saved at the end of the tribulation period. He doesn't say any of that. It's not in there. You have to read it in there. And we, can, we know how to do it. See, I already showed you the mystery of the salvation of Israel is connected to Revelation 10 verse 7. And that's post-tribulationally. It's connected to the sounding of the last trumpet. That that mystery is fulfilled or completed. One mystery, one aspect of the mystery. Now watch. Y'all still awake? 
So when the fullness of the Gentiles have come in, then the blindness that's imparted in Israel will be lifted. When does that happen? I'm going to try to show you by the Bible. And so all Israel shall be saved, the remnant, the elect according to grace. But it's going to be a majority out of the nation. They're going to be saved. The blindness is going to drop off. As it's written, there shall come out of Zion, the deliverer. How? When? 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 When is the fullness of the Gentiles? And when is the blindness that's in part on Israel removed? Come on. When the deliverer comes out of Zion. When the Savior comes out of Zion. When the Savior comes his second coming. Do you understand? His second coming. Which is at the end of the tribulation period. Do you understand? How many of y'all believe it's, saying, it's telling you that there's going to be a deliverer come? He's going to come. I don't have the Greek word here, but I, I know it's, it's connected to his second coming. Understand? And so all Israel will be saved. As is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer or the Savior and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. When Jesus takes away their sins. When they repent, when they get in Him, they're going to be saved the same way that you and I get saved. According to Acts 2.38, repent, be baptized in Jesus' name, and be filled with the Holy Ghost. By entering into the same covenant, the same way that you did, that's the same way they're going to get saved. In Jesus, when the Savior comes out of Zion, when He turns ungodliness from Jacob. You understand? For this is my covenant unto them, and I shall take away their sins. Okay? Now, go with me, please, to, to uh, Genesis 48. And I'm, I'm going to close. See, I, I, I have condensed about 10 hours worth of teaching into one, one lesson here. It's not my purpose to be uh, microscopic this morning. Or, or, yeah, but telescopic. I'll give you the big picture, Okay? Genesis 48. I'm running out of time. Let's look at this. How many of you know then that God is going to take from among Israel and out of that nation a large majority of them are going to be saved as the Savior returns? And at the time that the Gentiles, the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. That's what it says. Okay? You believe that? So then you have out of the nations, a company of people, and you have out of the nation of Israel, you have us grafted in the same tree, Jesus Christ, in Him, in the covenant. You understand? These two are now made one new man in Christ Jesus. Do you understand? Watch this. Let's go to Genesis 48. Now, you're going to have to really think with me, and I'm... I don't have much time, but at least you'll get a little bit of information. If you want a lot of information, get the series on the book of Revelation. We taught this in depth. Okay? Did you hear what I just said? The book of Revelation, we taught this in depth. If you want depth, get the series. Okay? The latter part especially of the series. Genesis 48, 19. Because we took the prophetic word of God and we showed you exactly when the fullness of the Gentiles is completed. 
out of the book of Revelation and teaching prophecy in that series. I don't have time to give it all to you, just a part of it. But Genesis 48, verse 19, I want to show you something very interesting. You will remember this, 48, 19. <clears throat> I think, let's go to verse uh, 17. When Joseph saw his father laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, Joseph is a son of Jacob or a son of Israel. Joseph takes Ephraim and Manasseh before his father. He presents Ephraim and Manasseh to their grandfather, Israel or Jacob. All right? Manasseh is the firstborn. Ephraim is the secondborn son. The firstborn is the one that should receive the blessing. Okay? But watch what happens. Genesis 48, 17. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, it displeased him and held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head unto Manasseh's head. It displeased Joseph that Israel put his right hand on the head of the secondborn son. He put the hand of blessing upon Ephraim. And it should have been on Manasseh, the firstborn. So now Ephraim is going to get what Manasseh should have received. You with me? Blind me, God. What's this? Y'all with me still? Okay. Let me get over there. I, I, I get so excited and I just turn pages and everything. All right. And when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. He held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head and the Manasseh's head. And Joseph said unto his father, Not so, my father, for this is the firstborn. Put thy right hand upon his head. Put your right hand on Manasseh's head. He's the firstborn. And his father refused and said, I know it, my son, I know it. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Manasseh's going to be great. You with me here? But truly, his younger brother shall be greater. Ephraim is going to be greater than he, and his seed shall become a multitude of nations are literally the fullness of the Gentiles. Did you get that? So now the younger son Ephraim is going to become the fullness of the Gentiles. Manasseh, it re listen, Manasseh represents Israel, the firstborn. Ephraim is the secondborn. And Ephraim is the fullness of the Gentiles. But he's Jewish in nationality. Are you hearing me? But God says he represents the fullness of the Gentiles. So Ephraim is going to get what rightfully belonged to Israel to the firstborn. The Gentiles are going to get the fullness of the Gentiles are going to receive what Manasseh or Israel, the firstborn, should have received and will receive. It's the secondborn. It's the nations that are going to get it first. And Israel is going to be great also. The firstborn is going to be great also. But the fullness of the Gentiles is the one that's going to receive the blessing. 
So when you study the word of God then, Ephraim throughout the prophets represent the church. They represent the fullness of the nations who are going to believe in the Messiah. Manasseh is Israel, the firstborn, and Ephraim is the fullness of the Gentiles. Joseph had two sons. He's a type of Jesus. Jesus has Israel, and he has the Gentiles, the nations that come in him. It's going to be the Gentiles first, and then Manasseh, the firstborn, is then going to receive the blessing. Come on. It's all laid out. Genesis, do you understand? So when Paul talks about the fullness of the Gentiles, when the fullness of the Gentiles be come in, that blindness in Israel will be lifted, he's talking, about, he's talking about Ephraim. He's taking you all the way back to Ephraim and it shows you in type that the second is going to receive the blessing. The first shall be last and the last shall be first because the Gentiles are going to believe what the first Israel didn't believe. And he literally uses the term, and I've got it in the Hebrew in, on, on my tab over there. He literally uses the term, fullness of the Gentile. Okay? Now let me read a little more. And he blessed them that day, saying, In thee shall Israel be blessed. Watch this. In thee shall Israel be blessed, saying, God, make thee as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And he set Ephraim before Manasseh. Gentiles first, then Israel. Now go to, with me please, to Hosea 5. And I'm coming to a close. Hosea 5. <clears throat> Woo, man, I'm having a good time. Hosea 5, <clears throat> verse 3. Hey, we're still, we're real, real early here. Hallelujah. Man, I, I thought it was almost 1 o'clock. 5-3, watch this. He says, God says, I know Ephraim. Okay. Well, Genesis, if you go back to Genesis 48 then, who is Ephraim? The Gentiles. Or he's Jewish, but he represents typically the Gentiles. Okay. So throughout the Old Testament, I can see that. I, can have, I have that understanding. Every time I read about Ephraim, he represents the church. He represents the fullness of the Gentiles. Are you with me? There were times when, when Ephraim got rejected. Well, that's the nations who are in unbelief. They will be rejected. You understand? There were, there were seasons in his, his tribal life that he was accepted or elected. I don't want to get, too, get you too confused. But anyway, I know Ephraim. Let's just bring it here. I know the fullness of the Gentiles. He, told, he said Ephraim is the fullness of the nations or the fullness of the Gentiles. So I'm not reading in the scripture when I say this. I know the fullness of the Gentiles and Israel. So Israel remains Israel. Ephraim re represents the Gentiles. Two sons. Joseph had two sons. He's a type of Jesus. Jesus has two sons. One of Israel and one of the Gentiles. But they become one in him. But he doesn't want you to miss. It's going to be the Gentiles that come in the kingdom first. And then Israel. See, so now he doesn't say, I want you to catch this. I know Ephraim and Israel. He doesn't say, I know Ephraim and Manasseh. 
He now says, I know Ephraim and Israel. Because Manasseh typically represented Israel and Ephraim typically represented the Gentiles. So in this passage, he's showing you, I know Ephraim and Israel is not hid from me. The Gentiles are not hid from me. Israel is not hid from me. For now, O Ephraim, thou committest whoredom, and Israel is defiled. He's talking about the church and Israel. Lord have mercy. If you, if you get this understanding, when you preach these prophets, you can preach, preach everything that happened to Ephraim. Everything they did. And you can preach it to the modern church. Because it's connected to the coming into the fullness of the Gentiles. Their idolatry, their unbelief, what they did is the same thing that's going on in the church world today. But he says, Ephraim and Israel. He wants you to understand. Israel's still Israel. With me and the Gentiles have come to Messiah. They're the fullness of the Gentiles. But they're also a picture of the church world as a whole. Does that make sense? Listen to me, please. You have national Israel and a remnant within national Israel that are going to be saved. Right now, a small group, ultimately a majority of them. Ephraim, fullness of the Gentiles, professing church world. But within the professing church world, the remnant of believing Gentiles. It's not that difficult. He's showing you in Hosea 5, both companies of people. He's showing you the church, and he's showing you Israel. Remember that Ephraim is the fullness of the Gentiles, and Israel is Israel. I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hid from me. For now, Ephraim, thou commitest whoredom, and Israel is defiled. See, they're both messed up. Amen. They will not frame their doings to turn unto their God. For the spirit of whoredoms is in the midst of them, and they have not known the Lord. Israel are the church. And the pride of Israel doth testify to his face. Therefore shall Israel and Ephraim fall in their iniquity. Judah also shall fall with them. Now watch this. At the end of Romans 11, Paul is going to say, look at this. We both need the mercy of God. He's going to, he's going to show you. At the end of Romans 11, we both need the mercy of God. We've both committed whoredoms. The church and the nation of Israel have. And the pride of Israel doth testify to his face. Therefore shall Israel and Ephraim fall in their iniquity. Judah also shall fall with them. They shall go with their flocks and with their herds to seek the Lord. But they shall not find him. He will withdraw himself from them. That is where it is. That's currently the situation right now. Okay? Watch. Watch. It's going to change though. He has, he's been crucified, dead, buried, and ascended. He's in the heavens right now. There is a remnant out of Israel that is being saved. There is a remnant out of the Gentiles that are being saved. God is in the heavens right now. You understand? Watch. They shall go with their flocks and with their herds to seek the Lord, but they shall not find. He hath withdrawn himself. They have dealt treachery against the Lord, for they have begotten strange children. Now shall a month, a month, now shall a month devour them with their portion. You know, 
Lord, I would see, I love to preach the word. May I just forgive me. I could stand up here all night, all day, and talk to you. You know why they're strange children? Because they don't look like their daddy. See, God's trying to show you in this passage, Romans 11 and these passages, that it doesn't matter who you are connected to physically. doesn't matter who your physical daddy is. What matters is who is your spiritual father. And if you're a strange child, it's because you don't look like your daddy. And the reason why you don't look like your daddy is because you're not feeding on the right things. You feed on idolatry, you feed on false gods, you feed your carnal, your lukewarm, all of that unbelief. Then you don't look like your daddy. You're a strange child. Because you're feeding on the wrong things. Every one of us should have the characteristics of our father. Do you understand? I don't want to be a strange child. See, Israel is a strange child to God because of their unbelief. The church world as a whole is strange. You can sit there and look at me and fold your little arms. Honey, I've been preaching for a while. (laughs) I've been preaching to dead, carnal, cold saints a long time. I can handle you. You ain't going to bother me. Let me just tell you. Strange children don't look like their father. I don't want to be a strange child. I want to look like God. I want to look like the Father. I want to... I want to walk with him, be faithful. I want to be righteous, holy, not in idolatry. You understand? They go, okay, here we go. They have dealt treacherously against the Lord, for they have begotten strange children. Now shall a month devour them with their portions. Okay, now I'm going to just jump way down here. I, I don't have time to read all this. Verse 15, but here's what he says. I will go and return to my place. That is what Jesus has done. I will go and return into my place till they acknowledge their offense. And seek my face. And in their affliction they will seek me early. Because when the tribulation and the great tribulation begins to be poured out on this world. Then what the Bible tells me is this. Is that it will bring Israel to a place of repentance. And they will call upon the Messiah that they have rejected. And when they repent of their unbelief. When they repent of their rejection of him. Then at the time that they repent. Then he's going to come from glory. And when he comes from glory. All of Israel shall be saved. And it's connected with the salvation of the nations. And the breaking of the yoke of Gentile powers off of Israel. And that's all post-tribulation. He does not come back and save them. Until they seek his face. Until they call upon him. Until they repent. And as soon as they do that. Here he comes. The nations of the world have been saved. Gentiles have been saved. A complete number have been saved. We're talking about all the way into the tribulation period. They repent. Israel calls upon the Lord. They repent. They seek his face. He comes from the heavens, the place of his hiding. He reveals himself to Israel. 
as they're calling upon him. They're saying, save us, Lord. And they're fleeing to the Mount of Olives. And he stands upon the Mount of Olives, Zechariah 12, 13. Read it. He stands upon the Mount of Olives. And Israel, this remnant, runs into the Mount of Olives. And they are saved. Because they're seeking him. And they're calling upon him. And they're repenting. And so he's coming back. That's when all of this has happened. You understand? So in Hosea 5, the church and the fullness of the Gentiles and the salvation of Israel is connected with his second coming when he comes from that place that he's dwelling at presently and hiding himself presently. That's when both of those are fulfilled. The fullness of the Gentiles is fulfilled at his second coming. The salvation of the Gentiles, this massive group of people of the nations, are saved. Israel calls upon him. He comes back. They repent, right? He's coming back. He breaks the Gentile yoke off of them. With me? So we got both events happening at the same time. We got the force of the Gentiles coming in, salvation, and the lifting of the yoke of Gentile, unbelieving Gentile powers off of Israel, and the salvation of Israel connected with their repentance and calling upon the Lord. It's connected to his second coming. That's why Romans 10, 7, it says, when the... When the angel sounds the seventh trumpet, and we know the sound trumpet, the seventh trumpet is when the resurrection takes place. The resurrection of the dead takes place, and that's when Jesus comes back. And we know Matthew 24, 31 tells us that it is post-tribulationally that he does this. Do you understand? Do you understand the timing of it? Do you understand the timing? Right now, because do you know right now Messiah, Israel is starting, their blindness is starting to lift? Every time you see a Jew come into the kingdom of God, you know that you're moving in the last days. That you're in the last days. Come on, are you with me? See, it's not like we have taught in the past, pre-tribulation of the church is raptured, the Gentile church is raptured out, and then there's seven years of tribulation period. Uh, last three and a half is, is the great tribulation period, and then he comes back and saves Israel after that. He does save them after the tribulation period, but the church is still there. In the great tribulation period. And Gentiles are coming into the kingdom that whole time. And this, this large salvation of nations are coming into the kingdom in the great tribulation period. And then Israel at the end of that tribulation period are going to call upon him and they'll be saved. His timing is the same. It's his second coming. Six, one and three. Six, chapter six, Hosea six, one through three. Come and let us return unto the Lord, they say. I love it. They're seeking him. They're repenting. They're saying, come, let us return unto the Lord. Why? For he hath torn. He will heal us. He has smitten. He will bind us up. After two days will he revive us. In the third day he'll raise us up and we shall live in his sight. He'll be here physically on this earth. He's come out of Zion. We've sought him. We've called upon him. We've repented. We're returning to the Lord. We're turning around. We're going back to God. After two days he'll revive us and the third day he'll raise us up and we shall live in his sight. This is all post-tribulational. These are literal three. These three days are literal days that are connected to the post-tribulation coming of the Lord. It can be preached dispensationally, but I just want you to understand you understand these three days 
They are literal 24-hour days. Love you. Okay, don't, don't misinterpret my, my zeal and my groan. I love you, okay? I'm just, I'm working to get this across. Watch this. Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. His going forth is prepared as the morning. He shall come to us as the rain and the latter, as the latter and the former rain unto the earth. O Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? O Judah, what shall I do unto thee? For your goodness is as the morning cloud, and as the early dew, it goeth away. Therefore have I heard them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And thy judgment are as the light that goeth forth. I, no, I've hewed them by the prophets. I cut them up. I've slain them by the words of my mouth. And thy judgment are as the light that goeth forth. For I desired mercy and not sacrifice. And the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. But they like men have transgressed the covenant. They, there have they dealt treacherously against me. Gilead is the city of them that work iniquity and is polluted with blood. And as troops of robbers wait for a man, so the company of priests murder in the way by consent, for they commit lewdness. I have seen a horrible thing in the house of Israel. There is whoredom of Ephraim. Israel is defiled. So both of them, the church and Israel, is seen in these passages. And it's all connected with the second coming of Jesus post-tribulation. This is beautiful. And some of you are thinking, I know what you're thinking right now. Some of you are thinking, this is just so deep for me, too heavy, I can't understand. Don't shut your brain off, honey. Turn your brain on. It's not that difficult. Easy. Simple. To understand. If you just take the word of God for what it says. Instead of always trying to bring in, you know, your preconceived ideas and your theology. And try to isogeet into passages, things that are not even there. Just let the word of God say it. Ephraim is the fullness of the Gentiles. Israel is Israel. Ephraim represents the fullness of the Gentiles. Okay? Two sons out of Joseph. Jesus has two sons, but they become one man in him. Salvation of Israel, a fullness of Israel, and a fullness of nations come into him. Isn't this beautiful? And so I showed you the timing of all, all this fulfillment and this completion and perfection. Uh, is all connected to the second coming of Jesus. They all converge the same point in time. Beautiful. 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 Do you believe me? I said, do you believe me? If you don't, there's something wrong with you, man. Because I read it to you right out of Hosea. You got both of them in Hosea 5 and 6, and they're connected. Both of them together, the force of the Gentiles and Israel, are seen all the way to his second coming. I'm having so much fun up here. Then I wish I had, whoops, I dropped the holy sacred scripture. God forgive me. I know I'm a nut, man, you know. He shows us through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe and not foolish preachers. Y'all pray for me. It's all... Okay, let's go to Romans 11. Lord Jesus, man, I love this Bible. I... 
Okay, Romans 11. Let's close with this. Whew. At least I didn't throw it at you. All right, let's start with verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of the mystery, the mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceit that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in, the breaking of Gentile oppression off of Israel, battle of Armageddon, post-tribulationally. That's one aspect of it. But it's also the salvation of the Gentiles at the end of the tribulation period. When that happens, the blindness will be lifted. Verse 26, so all Israel shall be saved. When does that happen? When they repent, they call upon him. He comes out of Zion. Hosea 5 and 6, Romans 11. So all Israel shall be saved. We're talking about the remnant of Israel. The, the, those that believe uh, of Israel. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion a deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. You know, election doesn't mean you can be saved without the new birth. <laughs> they still need the new birth. They still need Acts 2.38. So deliver shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. His second coming. For this, my, this is my covenant of them. When I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies. For your sakes. They are enemies right now of Jesus. They are enemies of the gospel right now. Because of their unbelief. But that doesn't mean that God's through with them. It doesn't mean it's, it's over for Israel. It's only partial and temporary blindness. And right now the Gentiles are coming into the church. And they will continue to come into the kingdom and all the way through the tribulation period. And at the end of the tribulation period, see, Israel is going to see the Gentiles, the saved Gentiles in the tribulation period. It's going to drive them crazy. It's going to drive them in the arms of Jesus. They'll cry out. They'll call upon him. They'll seek him. They'll repent. Here he comes. Same time. Do you understand? I got to get that. They converge at the same time. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake because of their unbelief. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. God loves the nation of Israel. He loves the nation of Israel because of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He loves, come on, he loves them. They're enemies because they rejected the gospel, but he still loves them. For the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. He doesn't change his mind. He has chosen them. They are still chosen. You are chosen. His power, his sovereign power tells you they have a future. His sovereign power over their past, Romans 9. His sovereign power over their present, Romans 10. His sovereign power over their future declares that Israel has a future. Those that believe in Him. Watch this. The gifts and cause of God are without repentance. He didn't change His mind. But did you respond to Him? For as ye in times past have not believed God, Yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. You get it? Gentiles got their chance. Because of their unbelief. Now the Gentiles are coming in to the kingdom. 
And they're enemies of the gospel because they rejected it. Verse 31. Even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. Because when they see the mercy that's been given to you, it's going to make them zealous and jealous for what you have. So that through your mercy, they also may obtain mercy. What God is saying is this, as far as His law is concerned, everybody stands condemned. And everybody is in need of the mercy of God. And what? Watch this. Yes. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that He might have mercy upon all, and Gentiles and Israel. Oh, the depth. Now, here we go. Paul, he started crying in Romans 9. I'm coming to the conclusion of these three chapters. He was crying at the beginning of Romans 9. Now he's rejoicing. Oh, the depth. Man, listen to this. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. They were in unbelief. God cut them off. Gentiles grafted in. Come on. Uses the Gentiles to drive Israel to jealousy. They're grafted back in when they repent and call upon Him. Now, the Lord has people from the nations, the Gentiles, and people of Israel in the tree. And all there by mercy and all in the covenant the same way and all engrafted into Christ. You understand? So Paul is just breaking out. He's awesome God is. His wisdom. Come on. The bird can't even fly without his permission. Do you understand that? He is sovereignly in control. He's, his power controls my past, my present, and my future. The bird has to get permission to fly. Paul just, if you could get this, and I don't totally have it all together. I really don't have it all, totally a total understanding of this. But if I got it, I think I could break out like Paul did. And just, just, just stand back at the, in awe of this awesome God. That you got your chance because of their unbelief. And then God's going to use you to display His mercy to bring them in because they need the same mercy and save everybody. Doesn't mean everybody in the world is going to be saved, but those that respond to Him. But, but just look at the wisdom and mercy of God. I just, Paul is rejoicing. He's happy now. He's dancing now. He's crying early, but he's singing now. And, and I got a question for you. Do you care? Is there anybody in here that just that you that you care do you care that's important do you care i care what's this for who hath known the mind of the lord or who hath been his counselor who can tell god what to do when to do it and how to do it i can't you can't well, God, I think you ought to do it this way. 
You're going to counsel God? You're going to tell God? You can't tell God when, how, and what to do. Look at the infinite wisdom, the infinite plan of God, His sovereign power, even over my past. I'm going to tell you something. Listen, you know what? This really, we can bring it down to you. Why are you in Odessa, Texas right now? Why are you here? Something has happened to bring you to this place. Why are you in this church right here right now? Did you know God was sovereign in control of your, your past? He's sovereign in control of your present. He's sovereign in control of your future. Everything. He can take even what you call bad and turn it around for the good if you'll just trust Him. He has power to rule sovereignly over your past failures, your present failures, and guarantee you a future if you will respond to the ever-extended hand of God. You can suspend unbelief, you can suspend non-election, and you can walk in faith and be the elect of God this morning. I don't care what your past is, as long as you're not a reprobate. As long as you're not a reprobate. Ooh, did that scare you? Reprobate. Well, anyway, I'm not going to define that. Other than to tell you, is you've been predetermined for judgment because... You just kept closing the door on God, closing the door on God. And you, you, uh, there came a time when God said, okay, mercy's closed. <laughs> and he can do that because he's so merciful and, and long-suffering. Come on. And he's so enduring our unbelief. It comes down and says, okay, that's it. Boom, close the door. No more mercy. Okay. Then you become a reprobate. As long as, if, but you're not a reprobate because you wouldn't be here this morning if you were. <laughs> so let me just help you with that. So because you're not a reprobate, I don't care what your past is, I don't care what your present is, you can have a future in God. If you are here this morning, you are not a reprobate. There's hope. I mean, there's even hope for me. There's hope for me, there's definitely hope for you. So, you know, you're going to try to tell God how to do it? We like to do that. Well, I think, we, you know, it ought to be this way, God. I, that's why we pray sometimes. Our, our prayer is not, tr- not finding out what you know, God wants for our lives, but it's presenting what we want for our lives and asking God to do it for us. And then we get all bent out of the shape because it didn't happen the way we wanted it to. <laughs> mm, it's hard to kick against the pricks. Who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. He doesn't owe anybody anything. But he gave everything. For, now watch this. For of him, and through him, and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. It is a work of the Spirit of God. It is a mystery. It is awesome. It's full of the wisdom of God. Only God can do what he's done. You would have never, you, you could have never come up with it. Not only did he come up with it, but then he told you about it in advance. And he said, this is, all, this is the way it's all going to work out in the end. Because of my sovereign control. This is the work of the Spirit. Watch what he says, and I'm closing. For of him, he is the originator. He is the source of it. Of him. 
And then it says through him. It passes through him. He started it, goes through him, and to him. It ends in him. It is a spiritual work of God. It's amazing. I stand back and I study these scriptures. I study Israel's present unbelief and their future in God. And how it's given us an opportunity to come into the kingdom of God. I stand back in amazement. The wisdom of God. That he could even take unbelief and turn it around for something good. His law stands up and condemns every one of us so that all of us stand up and say, I need the mercy of God. So I can't point a finger at Israel's unbelief because I need his mercy. We all need his mercy. He is the source of all things. Do you love him today? So this shows you this ultimate beautiful purpose of God and, and where it's all headed. And if you just get in him, you get in him and you get in his kingdom, in his church, everything's going to work out just fine. You just suspend your non-election. You suspend your unbelief. And you trust God's power for your future. How many of y'all going to do that? How many of you have seen God in your own life take your past failures and overrule them? To demonstrate his mercy. Wonderful, isn't he? That's why for me to sit up there and try to understand everything that happens to my life. Impossible. For you to try to figure out why. Always ask the question, why? Why, why did this happen? Is, is, friend, it's beyond you. It's in the hands of a sovereign God. He's the only one who knows why. If that event wouldn't have happened, where would you be today? You looked at it and you thought, man, it's the most horrible thing that could have ever happened to me or my family. But if that event had not happened, you might not be in the church. Do you hear what we're saying? Don't worry about the event that got you here. God's sovereign power is in control of it. Just be thankful you got there. Just be thankful that you made it to the destination. Richard Hurd said it this way, and I haven't heard him in a long time. He used to be a powerful prophetic evangelist. He said it this way. He said, I'd rather wade through hell in this world than get to heaven. What are you saying? I, it doesn't matter what I got to go through. I just need to get to heaven. That's my destiny. It doesn't matter what my loss is. It doesn't matter what my pain is. It doesn't matter what my hell is. If I got to wade through hell, I'm going to get to heaven. Okay? And you want, if you want to camp. See, that's what happened to Paul at the first Romans 9. He just sat there and boo-hooed and cried, sucked his thumb, broken heart, willing to die for the nation of Israel. I understand his motivation, but I'm telling you at the end of it, when he saw God, he said, no, he's rejoicing. Awesome thing, man. You see? Mm. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you right now. And I, I, I believe God today in this place that there, there have been very, very difficult times that have come to your people. They don't understand, Lord, all the events and they're constantly trying to figure it out and trying to understand and trying to tell you how to do it tell you how to run their life, tell you how to fix their life.
tell you what they need all the time. God, I just ask you right now, let, let us surrender ourselves into your sovereign control and power. I put my confidence and my faith in you. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. I'm going to trust you, Lord. I know that you have everything under control. I believe today in Jesus' name. I respond to the grace. I respond to the mercy. I respond to the message. I respond to the gospel. I have responded to Jesus. Been engrafted into him. I thank you for this salvation today. I pray for the nation of Israel. That you, O oh God, will fulfill your will and purpose. They will be saved. They will come to you, Lord. And the people who tried to use the unbelieving nation of Israel as a reason why they should not believe in this Messiah that Israel rejected, let them understand that it is a mistake. Israel is in unbelief. It is not your mistake, God. It was theirs. But you're going to take it and use it for your glory. Father, I trust you to rule over my failures. I trust you for my past, my present, and my future. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Learn to walk in his sovereignty. Last thing. Uh, I'm just going to say this. Always remember this. That when we come to the Lord. I'm not saying today that we can live any way we want to. And run back to God anytime we want to. You have to come back when he draws you. If you come when he draws You'll be saved. And he'll forgive you of your sin. He'll forgive me of my sin. But listen to me. The removal of my sin does not mean the removal of his law. Do you understand what I'm saying? What I mean by that is this. I can make decisions right now. I can come to God and he'll forgive me of that sin. I can have eternal life. But I can make decisions that disqualify me from ministry. I can say, oh God, I missed it. And he forgive me of that. But he didn't remove the law. You understand? Let me get really down to where, what I'm talking about right here. If I commit adultery or immorality as a man of God, you understand? I could come back to God. And it may be that the Lord would forgive me for that. But it does not mean he's removed the law that concerns or controls the office of ministry. Just because he forgave me of my sin does not mean I can stand behind that pulpit and preach. He didn't remove the law that governs this platform. He just removed my sin. You have got to understand that. You can disqualify yourself from future usefulness because he doesn't take the law that governs or defines or puts parameters around um, the operation of that ministry. He just took your sin away so you could be saved. I want you to understand that, okay? There are certain things that you can do that will disqualify you from certain uh, ministries in the kingdom of God. You understand? You can still be saved, but he didn't take the law away. 
things that govern the ministry. Husband of one wife. One woman man. If you break that law, you can't stand in the place of a bishop or an elder. Even though God said you're forgiven. Why am I telling you that? Because I don't want you to walk out here and think, well, you know, no matter how much I've messed up, I can still run back into the ministry. You can't do that. You might be saved. Doesn't mean you can be in the ministry. You've got to be careful with your life. You've got to walk in moral purity so that God can use you in the kingdom. And that's not easy to do. Does this help anybody? I tell you, I know, I know personally people that God wants, would, would, would have used greatly in ministry. But they disqualified themselves from that ministry. They're saved today, but they can't preach. They can't do it. So do you understand the difference? Read 1 Timothy 3. Read Titus. Those parameters that govern qualified ministry. You break those, you can be disqualified from him. Forgiven, but disqualified. God didn't take his law away when he died on the cross. Those things that govern certain aspects of qualification. Okay? Don't forget that. You think, well, I could just run out and do what I want to, twist off and come back, and God just take, take me up where I left off and use me in every aspect, in every way. He never changed his mind. But you walked out of a place of usefulness in the kingdom. That's why you can't get, you know, lax about his will. Because it can't affect your future. Usefulness. Not salvation. Usefulness. Mm-hmm. I love you. Okay, it's 12.30. It's early, but you get to go home. Come back tonight, and let's have church.